My message today is entitled, The False Prophet and the Mark of the Beast. And I'm going to read a fairly lengthy passage from the book of Revelation, the 13th chapter, uh, from verses 11 to verses 18. Uh, the Bible promises a blessing to anyone who reads the book of Revelation. And it promises a blessing to everyone who listens or hears the words. But it also promises a blessing to everyone who does the word uh, of the Lord. And so I'm going to get a blessing while I'm reading it. You're going to get a blessing while you're listening to it. And we're all going to get a greater blessing if we will obey it. It says, Then I saw another beast come up from the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and all those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he performs great signs and wonders so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives uh, those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. And he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast and that the image of the beast should both speak, watch this, very demonic, should speak and cause as many who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, both small and rich, uh, great and rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads, that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. What we see in this passage of Scripture is a time on planet Earth of extreme difficulty. And we're going to see levels of deception, the likes of which we have not seen since the world began. And Satan is going to bring out his weapons of mass deception because he knows his time is short and that in his one final attempt, to bring as many people as possible to hell with him. Now, getting part of getting ready for the future is to have a revelation of what is coming. Because to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And one of the big mistakes that we often make as God's people is we have a tendency to look at the events of the world and try to interpret them in regards to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So each time there's an earthquake, each time there's a conflict somewhere in the world, each time there is a war, we try and scramble together and interpret these events in the light of the context of the last days. Did the Bible say anything about the war in Ukraine? Is there a sign, is this the sign that we're entering into the last days? Especially when there is a war, there seems to be an upsurge in interest about biblical prophecy. And while I'm not saying that that is wrong, I'm just saying that if you are, you're looking at the wrong places, let me just try and say at the outset that many Christians are falling into deception. If all you are getting today, all your information is from the media or some news outlet or some YouTube channel, trust me, you are slowly being brainwashed, slowly being deceived and you don't even know it. Because news is not what it used to be, my friends. It is a tool for propaganda, whether it's CNN or CNBC or BBC or Fox, whatever. Every news outlet has an agenda. And if all you're reading is what is coming out from the news outlets, then you're being brainwashed. It's interesting, but did you know that the narrative in the West just one year ago was that Ukraine was a basket case. It was the most corrupt nation in Europe. It was a den of Nazi collaborators. Zelensky was a corrupt 
far-right authoritarian nutjob. But the narrative has completely changed today, calling him a hero, calling him uh, for people to take up arms against Russia. And all that, ladies and gentlemen, is just propaganda. That's what we call the fog of war or the distribution of false information. Hey, that's cancer culture, man. And many of us, unfortunately, have bought into the narrative. Listen, I tell you this, Satan is a master of deception and the father of lies. What is the antidote to this? I tell you what the antidote is. Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles because the Bible is the most accurate, up-to-date document ever written and it's relevant for us today. In fact, more relevant to us today than your today's newspaper. Hallelujah. You know, I heard about a pastor who was invited to dinner to the home of his church members and after his left, his wife said, to, the wife said to the husband, I think pastor stole one of my silver spoons because I can't find it. And so she, she looked everywhere, she couldn't find it, and it bothered her for the longest time. Finally, after one year, she said, I can't take it anymore, I have to confront him. Confronted the pastor, says, Pastor, remember one year ago, you came to my house for dinner. You, I, did you steal one of my silver spoons uh, uh, when you were here for dinner? And the pastor said, no, I did not. I just put it in your Bible. <laughs> Read your Bibles, my friends. Because that's how you grow in discernment, amen. Discernment is not just knowing the difference between right and wrong, it's the difference between knowing right and almost right. What is the future gonna be like? How do we prepare ourselves for the end time? Well, in this passage of scripture, we see a beast rising up from the earth, and he's empowered by Satan himself to perform great signs and wonders, and his role is to deceive all who dwell on the earth. One of the things that we have not heard very much is this very shadowy character called the false prophet. We've heard many sermons on the Antichrist. We've heard many sermons on the mark of the beast. But rarely have I ever heard a sermon preach about the false prophet. Now, I know there's not very much about him in the Bible. He lurks in the shadows. But what I'd like to do today is expose him for who he is so that we are not ignorant of his devices when he comes. Firstly, he's referred to in the book of Revelation as the second beast. And like the Antichrist, he's someone who lived in history, is dead right now, but comes out of the bottomless pit, all right? He is someone who's brought back into life in history, and his job essentially is to empower the Antichrist. He seeks to mirror the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the work of the Holy Spirit, of course, is to exalt and point the world to Jesus, amen? And the false prophet functions in very much the same way. His job is to draw people into a false worship of the Antichrist. A couple of weeks ago, I felt the Lord rebuke me about, uh, about this whole subject. You know, when the Holy Spirit is given to us, He's not given so that we can have exotic experiences. He's not given to us so that we can have goosebumps on our goosebumps. The Holy Spirit, whenever He's present, will exalt Jesus and talk about the cross and the price we have to pay for following Jesus. Every time the Holy Spirit is in this room, Jesus is the one who is exalted. Amen. So when we see people shaking and we see people swooning and when we see people crying, and that's all wonderful, that's the effects of the Holy Spirit. But I tell you this, at the end of it, if Jesus is not exalted, we miss the whole point. Amen. And as much as we want to honour the Holy Spirit, and we do honour the Holy Spirit like no other people, I tell you this, we love the Holy Spirit, but when the Holy Spirit comes, He always comes to lift up Jesus. Amen. Now, we're told that this false prophet has the appearance of a meekness like a lamb, 
but spoke like a dragon. In other words, don't be deceived by appearance. Don't be deceived by people's eloquence. In verses uh, 13, it says that he has great power and can even make fire come down from heaven. Now, how many of you know that if you can call fire down from heaven, that's the big leagues, man. It's not a small feat. The false prophet is permitted to perform great signs and wonders because his role is to entice all of mankind to worship the Antichrist. Now we come to verses 14 and 15. One, one of two subject matters that I want to focus on today. One of the things that he will do when he appears, he will set up a statue of the Antichrist and he will be given power to give life to the statue and it will speak and everyone that does not worship the image of the beast would be killed. I mean, this is satanic that an inanimate object could be given live so that it could speak and I'll come back to this in the next few moments. And finally, his opus magnum, he, takes, he makes everyone take a mark on their forehead and on their right hand and without this mark, no one can buy or sell anything. And with these two things, the worship of an idol and the mark of the beast, he will control the whole world and give it into the hands of the Antichrist for a period of three and a half years. And I share all this with you so that you will know how to prepare yourself for what is about to come. So let's look at the first one, which if you think about it, really is the issue of worship. Because if you know anything about the history of Israel, you will know that idolatry was their Achilles heel. It was their besetting sin. And what is the heart of, idol of idolatry? It's the issue of worship. Now Satan has from time immemorial sought to be worshipped. Five times in the book of Isaiah, the 14th chapter, he said, I will ascend to the Most High. I will be like God. I will be like the strongest strong one. And that's all he wanted from time immemorial to be worshipped like the Most High. When he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, the third and final temptation was over the issue of worship. He said, if you will bow down to me, Jesus, I'll give you the whole world. And I tell you, Satan is still offering that to anyone who would bow down to him. But I promise you, make no mistake about it. He will promise you heaven, but he will give you hell. You must decide once and for all whom you will bow down to because whoever you worship will have preeminence in your life. In the premise in, in chapter 13 of the book of Revelation, if you will bow down to the statue of the Antichrist, you will live. If you will not bow down, you will die. No ifs, no buts. And that's how it's going to be in the last days. So you better decide right now, right here, if Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. Because I tell you in life, there are very few things that are neutral. If you're not bending your knee to Jesus every single day of your life, trust me, you won't do it then. You cannot fence it on this matter any longer. Have you resolved, my friends, have you resolved in your heart that Jesus is the only one you will bend your knee to? Because before the day dawns on us, we must resolve this issue of lordship once and for all. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of my life? I'm not asking you if he's your savior because we have somehow reduced salvation to a few short sinner's prayer, few short sentences that you prayed 25 years ago. I couldn't care less if you prayed that prayer 25 years ago. I want to know if today Jesus is still the Lord of your life. I'm asking you if he calls the shots in your life. I'm asking you if he has the steering wheel in your life. Is he the Lord of your life, my friends? Because he's a jealous God with a, the cap, with a capital J and he will have no rival because he has got no equal. Hallelujah. 
If he's not number one in your life, then it's not right. If he's not number one in your life, there's no guarantee of salvation. I tell you this, my friends. Now, when we often, we often have overlooked this issue of worship because we're so caught up with the mark of the beast. But right here, I think, is the bigger issue because if we don't worship this statue, you will have no right to live on this planet. That's pretty draconian. Now, you all know the Shema. Hear, Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The word for soul is the word for life. And what it means is when push comes to shove, will you choose and love God over your own life? There's a gun pointed to your head today, this morning. Will you choose to stay loyal to Jesus or will you deny and renounce Him? That's the question we must all resolve in our hearts today. And this is going to be a very real scenario in the future. It's not far-fetched. Now the whole scene in Revelation 13 is very reminiscent of Daniel chapter 3 where we find the nation of Judah in captivity. Daniel chapter 3 is a harbinger of things that are going to happen in the last days. The hanging Babel, city of Babylon was the greatest of pride and skill that man had ever built. One of the great seven wonders of the ancient world. King Nebuchadnezzar was the despot who ruled over that mighty empire that stretched all the way from Europe to the borders of India. In this city, he erected an image of his physical likeness, a statue made of solid gold, 60 cubits high, six cubits wide, with six sets of instruments. And so we see the 666 in this whole construct. Nebuchadnezzar commanded all the people of Babylon that they should worship this golden image that he erected. And at the sound of music, everyone was to bow down, look toward the image and shout, Great is Nebuchadnezzar our God. Great is Nebuchadnezzar our God. And we all know the story of those three young Hebrew boys who refused to bow when everybody was on their face before the statue. Everybody else had compromised and they were summoned to the king. And the king said, I heard Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego that you would not bow down to my statue. It's okay, I'll give you one chance. He said, if you bow down to my statue, I'll let you live. But if not, who is that God that you serve that will deliver you out of my hands? And I love what those three young boys said. They said, oh king, we're not even going to think about how we're going to answer you. The God that we serve is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace. But, but just in case he does not deliver us, it does not matter. We choose to not bow down to this idol. We ain't going to worship your God. We ain't going to worship this idol because we have chosen to worship the one true and living God. Amen. And as a result, they were thrown into this fiery furnace. And as the fire was raging, seven times hotter than normal, the king said to his advisors, did we not throw three men into the fire? They said, yes. He said, why is it that I see a fourth man in the fire and that the fourth man looks like the son of God? And I'll tell you why he looked like the son of God, because he was the son of God. Right at that moment, I can just see that fourth man leaping from the portals of heaven and flying at the speed of light, landed in Jerusalem, in the Babylon, where he walked into that great fiery furnace to quench the violence of that fire and deliver those three young Hebrew boys. Yes, my friends, I tell you this, there are times 
where he will come and deliver us from the power of cancer. There is times when God will come and deliver us from the power of death. There are times when God will come and deliver us from a debilitating sickness. But there are also times that he would stand up at his throne and beaming with pride and a big smile on his face and look down at the men that stoned Stephen to death and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I tell you this, when he whether he delivers me or he does not deliver me, I must resolve in my heart to always be loyal to him. When my wife and I, we were in, uh, going through this whole COVID, we said to one another, we said, let not a negative word come out of our mouth. Let not a word of complaint come out of our mouth because we remember all the people that are suffering in a Ukrainian war right now and what we are going through is nothing compared to them. I tell you this, we have to be made of stronger material. Amen. We've got to learn how to praise God in every situation. And I tell you, your attitude is everything in life. Everything in life. We must settle this issue once and for all. Whether or not we are willing to choose God above our own lives because the world will say to you, if you bow, you won't burn. If you don't bow, you will burn. And the Lord says, if you bow, if you compromise, you will burn. But if you don't bow, you can't burn. Hallelujah. We have to make a decision today whom we're going to serve, whom we're going to pledge our loyalty, our fealty, because in the near future, this is going to be a true life and death situation. I tell you this, my friends, our faith has suffered in the last 2,000 years great persecution. Members of our faith have been crucified, thrown to the lions, burned at the stakes, stoned to death, had their eyes gorged out, had their tongues chopped off. And so whatever you're tempted to complain when you're going through, no matter what your situation, you just remember what our fathers went through for the sake of the gospel. And it puts everything in perspective. This world is very bipolar. It's divided into two camps. Those who follow the Antichrist and those who follow the Lamb of God. Choose this day whom you will serve. Elijah stood up and he says, how long will you falter between two opinions? If God is God, then serve him. If Baal is God, then you go and serve him. But you got to choose who you will serve. That's the first issue that we have to resolve in our hearts. The second issue, my friends, is the mark of the beast. And the mark of the beast is an economic tool that the false prophet uses to grant men and women permission to live on this planet. Without this mark, you can't buy or you can't sell, which simply means you have no right to live on the earth. It will be taken away from you. Now, if you can't buy, if you can't sell, pretty soon you will run out of food, right? And what then? And what people do, including many Christians, what do they do? They will capitulate and take the mark. History has proven this to be true. And I tell you this, my friends, if you take the mark, then you have chosen to worship and side with the Antichrist and there is no coming back from this. You cannot say, oh pastor, that was a moment of weakness. I repent. No sir, once you have taken the mark of the beast, there is no coming back. You have been forewarned. You don't know how many Christians that in the last 32 years of pastoring, how many Christians have capitulated? 
Oh, you don't know, Pastor, my grandmother is still alive. I cannot be baptized. Oh, my grandmother, you know, when she dies, I have to use the joystick and I have to bow down to those idols and my ancestors. And I tell them, you do that, you cross the line. And they still do it. They said, oh, you know, Jesus will understand. He does not understand. He does not understand how you would break faith with him, how you would betray him. This is idolatry. How many people have not been baptized yet because my mother is still alive. I cannot be baptized. And shame the name of Jesus Christ. A lot of Christians will capitulate. I know. I know it's, they're, they're going to buckle under this. A lot of Christians without sounding critical also are buying up farms. A lot of growing vegetables in their gardens to try and circumvent the mark of the beast. I know of Christians that I know, friends of ours, buying huge farms in New Zealand, in, in, in Thailand, in other parts. Oh, because, you know, in those days, there was be no food, so we have to grow our own food. If you are doing, I promise you this, if you have a farm, they'll take the farm away from you. There's no circumventing this situation. What is the option? You've got to trust God. You've got to put your faith in God. That's the only option. Like those three young Hebrew boys, we must totally trust God to deliver us. But if He doesn't deliver us, if I perish, then I perish. It doesn't matter. But I made up my mind. I will never bow my knee to an idol. I will never bow my knee to the Antichrist. I will never follow Him. I've chosen to follow Jesus. I made up my mind and it doesn't matter. You know the song I have this side. I don't know why I'm thinking of the song. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. It was written by an Indian man. Well, while they were killing his children, his wife, they said, will you re renounce your faith? He said, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Don't no one go with me, I will still follow, no turning back. Man, that became an amazing song and anthem for the church. And there are days, my friends, I tell you, we must Bite the, bite the bullet and say, no, I will not capitulate. I will not bow down to any idol. Uh, we must be stronger than the world. Hallelujah. God can multiply food if He wants to. Amen. But if He chooses not to, it doesn't matter. I will love Him with all my heart still. Whether or not He heals me or not, it doesn't matter. I've chosen. I said in the first service, if I prayed for 99 people and nobody got healed, I would pray for the 100 person as though everybody got healed. Because it doesn't matter my experience. What matters is God's word is true. He's a healer. Some people, I was just reading a book, John G. Lake. He offered $500 in the newspapers. $500. For anyone who had come to his ministry who was really sick and ill and diseased, and if in 30 days they didn't get better or get healed, he would give you $500. Because he knew that through prayer and fasting and persistence, eventually people would get healed in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe it with all my heart. People that are sick, I said, I'll give you my number. Every day you give me a text, two minutes, I'll pray with you. And after five days and after one week, we'll see the change coming into your life. Hallelujah. Just through prayer. You know, some people have erroneously linked the mRNA vaccination to the mark of the beast. And I want you to hear me say this very clearly. It is not! The mark of the beast only appears in Revelation chapter 13. It's an economic mark. And it's, it's, it's 
receive welcome by those who are already immersed in this B system and those who are relying upon the systems that are in this world. You know, sometimes people say, Pastor Young, why don't you speak about the, the, the issue of vaccinations because it's such a divisive issue here. In, in, listen, I don't want to speak about it because it's a marginal issue. It's not an important issue. It doesn't have, it has nothing to do with my salvation. Nothing to do with my salvation. It's a Romans chapter 14 issue. Did you know that in Romans chapter 14, there was a division in the church? <clears throat> there were two groups of people that were fighting with one another. One group were meat eaters. I belong to that group. <laughs> one group only ate vegetables. The people in the vegetables section were criticizing those that ate meat and the meat eaters were judging the people that were only veg vegetarians. Somebody said to me, Pastor Young, can I eat pork and go to heaven? You eat pork, you'll get there faster. Hallelujah. <laughs> so Paul said, hey, this is just an issue of eating. It's not a marginal, it's a marginal, it's a peripheral issue. It's not an issue of salvation. It's a small issue. So whether you want to eat meat or whether you want to eat vegetables, that's up to you. And it's the same principle, whether you want to be vaccinated, whether you don't want to be vaccinated, it's up to you, but you decide what you want. You decide what you want. Now, of course, with all the restrictions being lifted, some of the, them can come, I'm telling you, those of you who are online watching, there are things that God is going to do in this meeting today that He cannot do in your room. Sitting on your sofa in your pajamas and watching service, the Lord can bless you there. Yes, no problems about this. But there are some things that He will not do in your living room that He will do here because He's just a communal God. He chooses, right? And so you got to choose. I can still stay at home, watch the service and enjoy it from the comforts of my home and can, or I can be with God's people here. And sometimes they rub me the wrong way, but I will choose them above my own comfort. Serious? It's not that God cannot do. He will not do certain things in your living room that He will do in the house of God. Shandara. Oh, I'm preaching good today. Hallelujah. <laughs> we talk a lot about the mark of the beast. We make much about the mark of the beast, but we don't talk enough of another mark in the Bible. It's the mark of God. The mark of God is exactly the opposite of the mark of the beast. It's also written on the forehead of the man who draws his resource and sustenance from heaven's limitless supplies. And so while we're all concerned about the mark of the beast, will I fall, will I capitulate, why don't you cry out this morning and say, God, put your mark on my forehead. Because if you've got the mark of God on your forehead, you don't have to worry about the mark of the beast. I think we make too much of the mark of the beast and not about the keeping power of God. The million dollar question is, how do I get marked by God? I'm going to read a few passages of Scripture here. The first is Revelation 14.1 and says, Then I looked and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. This is the man-child company. This is the church of the firstborn. This is the bridal company. This is the, the company of the band of overcomers. This is the Melchizedekian priesthood. They're called by many names in the Bible. They're one and the same. It represents the highest of the redeem of the Lord. There is a company of people within the church that attain to the highest levels of maturity. And I promise you this, you can take this to the bank, that when we get to heaven and see this bride, the bride of Christ, this one company of people that have attained to that level of maturity, we will say, just like we say of the Lamb, they are worthy of the Lamb of God. 
There's one company of people, I tell you this, when, they, when we get to heaven, we are going to see this company of saints that are the most beautiful, the most glorious company of the redeemed of the Lord, the firstborn of His creation. Hallelujah. And every great saint in the Bible and in history has as their number one goal to be part of this company. Revelation chapter 22, it says, His name shall be on their foreheads. Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of, of God on their foreheads. The word servants is something I want to come to in a few moments. Now watch this. Here is a company of people who have been marked on their foreheads. It's the Father's name that's written on them. And they are those that are totally free from the stain of this world. But it's not just in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, sorry. It's also in the Old Testament because to give truth veracity, you've got to be able to find an illustration in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Okay. Ezekiel chapter 9 is the vision that the prophet had concerning the doom of Jerusalem. In, in the vision, he sees six angels. Five were given a battle axe. And they were commanded to destroy the city. The sixth angel was clothed in linen, which is a, it really is a priestly garment. And he was given an inkhorn. And this is what he was commanded, verse 4. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, to the midst of Jerusalem. Put a mark. Listen, watch this. Put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sighed and cried over the abominations that are done within it. Again, I want to emphasize this is a vision. This was in the spiritual realm. So the angel with the ink horn did as he was commanded, placed the mark on the foreheads of all those who grieved and cried over the sins of the city. And after he had done that, the destruction of Jerusalem began. The question is, do we grieve? Do we mourn over the sins and iniquity of our city? Do we mourn over the current state of affairs? Do we, or are we just not bored it? How much do you care for the people in us? How much do you care for the state of the church? What is your level of empathy, your level of compassion? And the thing that sets those apart who are marked by the angel was that they were deeply concerned and mourn over their communities. And this is the one thing that I think God is looking for in His people, a tenderness towards Him. Deception will be so great in the last days, the whole earth will be deceived except for a company of people called the elect. And the only way that you won't take the mark of the beast, regardless of whether you know it or not, is to have the mark of God on your forehead. Now I want you to notice the people that are marked, right? It says in verse chapter 7, verse 1, that, we are, that the servants of the Lord are marked, are sealed. Now the word for servant is the word doulos, or better translated, bond servant, or actually better translated, slave. So this mark is not given to everybody in the church. It's only given to the bond servant. What does the Bible say about the bond servant or the doulos? That's the word. In Exodus chapter 21, a Hebrew slave could work six years for his master. On the seventh year, it was mandatory. He had to be released. You cannot keep a slave more than seven years. But at the end of seven years, the slave says to the master, I've come to love you. I've come to respect you. I've come to honor you. And I don't want to leave your household. And I want to serve you for the rest of my life. When he says that to his master, then the master would have a little ceremony in his home, bring the slave to the doorpost of his house, and then pierce his ear so that he could put sort of a slave ring around his ear as a sign that this slave belongs to him for the rest of his life. Now, not all Christians 
are bond servants. Many claim they have given their lives to Jesus, but He's not the Lord of their lives. They live only for themselves. Their love is a pleasure. More than God, they're lovers of their lives. More than God, they're lovers of themselves and lovers of their money. More than they love God. And Jesus Himself said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now watch these two characteristics of a bondservant. Number one, a bondservant is a bondservant by choice. They're free to leave. They're free to go. But they choose to stay. And this decision to stay is something I believe all of us in this congregation must make at some point in our lives. I am absolutely certain that at some stage in our lives, we will all be offered our freedom to do whatever we want to do or we could choose, or we could choose to be yoked with Christ. It is a test. It is a choice that we all have to make. I don't know about you, but as for me and my household, we have chosen to worship the Lord. We have chosen to serve the Lord. The second thing is that bond servants don't own any money. This is a tough one for us in Singapore. Bond servants essentially were slaves, and slaves did not own their own money. They were dependent on the master's kindness towards them. Now, certain bond servants in the Bible were promoted because of their faithfulness. They became stewards, and stewards still don't own their money. They took care of their money, uh, the master resources, uh, master's resources. A bond servant understands that everything he owns belongs to his master. And I say all that to say that if Jesus Christ is not Lord over your wallet, then he's really not Lord over your life. Amen. So this commitment to be a bond servant is not just an intellectual concept, but a commitment to a radical lifestyle of obedience. Is this what you want? Because when I say I want to be a bond servant, then I ought to no longer live for myself, but for the Lord. Amen. This, and this decision must be made voluntarily. No one can coerce. You must choose. You must choose. When God put Adam in the garden, He put another tree there, not just the tree of life, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and says, Adam, you have to choose to obey me. You have to choose to follow me. To offer oneself to become a slave is the ultimate commitment one can make in this world. And only a fool would do it without carefully considering the costs involved. But I'm standing here today to appeal to you, my friends, that we have to resolve these two issues once and for all. We have to resolve the issue of worship. I will never bow my knee to any idol. I will never bow my knee to any other God. There is no God but God alone. Hallelujah. And to Him, I bow my knee and give my life and pledge my loyalty. You have to make that decision as a decision of worship and a decision of lordship in your life. The second is the issue of money. Because I'm telling you, if He is not the Lord of your money, then He's really not the Lord of all in your life. Jesus Himself said, you cannot serve two masters. He said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the Arabic word for riches or the power of wealth. You either love one or hate the other or vice versa. And we all have to choose. You know, I will close with this. A lot of Christians says, I know what the mark of the beast is and I will not choose it when it comes. These very same Christians know what the will of God is, but they never do it. So don't think that, oh, I know what the will of God. Knowledge doesn't preserve you, but a heart that is prepared and trained to obey will be ready. You must allow the Holy Spirit to prepare your heart, my friends. You must establish the Lordship of Jesus every day in your life. 
That's why I beseech you every morning, wake up early, spend time in the Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to establish His Lordship in our lives. Amen. Embrace the cross every morning. Sometimes we stumble into sin. Sometimes we make mistakes. And I know that those times when we do that and repent, He's very merciful to us. But I'm saying this to you, you cannot leave it to the last. I'm going to say something in the service right now that I'm, I know might offend some of you, but I'm going to say it anyway because I care for you and I love you and I don't want you to fall into this mistake. A lot of people talk about these last minute salvations. You know, on the deathbed, 10 minutes before they die, they said, oh, I want to receive Jesus. They don't want to receive Jesus because they love Him or have repented of their sins. They, love, they, want, they want to receive Jesus so that they won't go to hell. And because all their lives they have resisted the gospel, all their lives they have resisted the lordship of Jesus. And now at the end of their lives, when they realize that they cannot live the kind of life that they used to live, I've got no choice, I have to do this. Will you think Jesus accepts that offering? Will you think Jesus accepts that kind of commitment? I know that the thief on the cross at the last moment turned to Jesus and said, Lord, will you remember me today? Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. That thief never had the opportunity to hear Jesus speak. But so many people, we hear Jesus, we hear the Word of God preaching, we keep resisting Him, resisting the Holy Spirit, resisting the Holy Spirit, always thinking that at some point in my life, you know, I can still make a decision at the end of my life, 10 minutes before I die, I will, and all will be right. Don't you deceive yourself, my friends. Don't you treat the Holy Spirit this way. Don't you treat Jesus this way. It's not right. And it's not right. And you have no guarantee that He will accept you in His kingdom. I want you to stand up on your feet today. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.